Hey, if you are a dad in the room, I don't care what age, what stage, if you're a dad in the room, would you please stand up right now? And in traditions, online, at home, stand up right now. Let's give them a hand, gentlemen. Appreciate the hard work. Appreciate the hard work. The hard work that has been done. Okay, you can sit down. I can see some of you are like, please stop. Please, please let me sit down right now. There's some dad at home, though, watching online that's like, please keep applauding me, kids. <laughs> well, hey, here's the deal. I do appreciate all the dads, all the hard work, even the failed work at times, right? We can admit we don't always do it right, but we usually do it all in, which, whatever we did, <laughs> right? And uh, just appreciate dads. You know, this is a great day to appreciate dads. And I just want to say happy Father's Day and, to all of you. And you know what? Sometimes dads get remembered for all sorts of things, don't we? Uh, usually not the things that we would pick, like if we got to pick what we wanted on our dad tombstone, uh, it might be other things that are remembered. Like I was just asking my daughter about some memories, and, and the first memory that came to, to her mind was when we were on a family walk, and usually the way the family walk goes is the girls all walk and they talk, and me and Sam throw a football as he runs up and down a street and tries not to get hit by a car. Well, anyways, um, Sam decided to throw the football when I wasn't looking, and right in front of the girls, it just hit me right in the back of the head. This is yesterday, so I don't even remember half of what I'm talking about today. Uh, and, and no one in my family, have you noticed this, dads? Like, nobody in your family runs to your rescue in that moment. Nobody's like, hey, are you okay? They all just laugh, like point and laugh. And that's one of the things that dads do is we provide some laughs sometimes in our, in our most serious moments, you know, some of my most serious moments where I've been working the hardest at something, uh, my kids are in the other room laughing as my frustration um, creates no progress for me in the things that I'm working on or venting my frustration on. But, um, you know, those are projects, not people, by the way. But, uh, you know, I, I, as we talk about Father's Day today, I don't know if Father's Day is happy for you. You know, I, I realize there's a lot of different things that can affect a day like Father's Day. We all have different experiences with being dads or with the dads that raised us. Some of us are missing dads that, are, that we're not with today. And so sometimes Father's Day can, can be bittersweet or just straight up bitter. Um, I don't know if it is happy for you or not. I don't know if it's meaningful for you or not. I hope that it is. I don't know if you're a dad or have a good dad or not. But today we're celebrating something bigger than, than just one individual that, that was involved in your existence. They, they were involved. Um, today we celebrate God's intentional and incredible desire for what fatherhood could be. It's a desire rooted in who he is and it's something that he has invited us to be a part of. You know, there's a lot of God things that he created us to be like him in. There's a lot of things that, that God said, man, I want somebody to do this like I would do it. And he created people for that. And I think that in a world full of mixed messages, a world full of poor examples, a world that sometimes just characterizes dads as, as good for not much more than an occasional blunder on a house project or buying donuts or, or some of the other things, I want to look to God's words in the Bible this morning to remind us what fatherhood and actually masculinity are all about. You'll find that if you're not a dad in the room, some of the things that God hints at for fathers are the same things that he hints at 
for men as a whole. And so I want to start right in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, first chapter in the Bible. If you have a Bible with you, you can open it. If you have a Bible app, you can, you can do that. If you don't, you can Google it. But it's the first chapter in the Bible, Genesis 1, where God is creating everything that he made in the world, and he's giving some purpose statements about it. The early chapters of the Bible were not meant to be just details in history. They were meant to be a narrative that shows the why behind many of the elements of existence that we experience today. Jesus referenced them as such. In fact, some of the passages we're gonna talk about today in regards to masculinity and fatherhood, Jesus referenced as the why, the God why, the Bible why behind his teachings on marriage and sexuality. So we can learn a lot just from these couple of chapters, but in Genesis 1, verse 27, it says this. It says, God created human beings in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Do you know what that verse means? That is a big deal verse. Do you know what that means? One of the many things that it means is that men are awesome. (laughs) Men are awesome. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and be like, you know what, men are awesome. Men are awesome. Yeah, you could say it, it's okay. I know, you probably never heard that statement in our culture before. You know, in our society, it's not very popular to be a man these days, which kind of is lame for like 50% of society, by the way. And it's all because every now and then some men really screw it up for the rest of us. But men are awesome. They were created to be awesome. God thought they were an awesome idea. And some of you ladies are like, Caleb, it says female too. I know, but you had your day and it's our turn. (laughs) All right? So yes, women are great too, but so are men. And masculinity, being a man, the question is, what does that mean? But being a man was a good thing. It was created by God to represent something divine in the world. Being a man is something godlike. Now, don't take that too far, gentlemen. Okay, we got our applause. Let's just be happy with that. But one of the primary ways that God reveals himself and reveals his intentionality behind what masculinity is, what what being male is, is by being our father. That God knew that we would all have imperfect dads, and so he revealed himself as the ultimate father for all people in all time. And it's him that we take our cues from when it comes to being masculine or being a man, being a father, And that he wanted us to demonstrate that to the world, to do our best job to imitate our heavenly father. That's why the next verse says this. It says, then God blessed them, that's male and female, and said, be fruitful and multiply. That means have a lot of babies. Fill the earth, that's still a lot of babies, and govern it. That means bring some order to all the chaos of all those babies, right? Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. That means, hey guys, animals are great, but they're not the same as kids. I'm sorry, I know there's some, what are they, dog dads and dog moms in here. You're like, no, they are. They're better behaved than most kids. And that may be true, but they don't image God. They don't reflect God the same way that kids have potential to do. And so he said, hey, I want you to do these things. I want you to multiply and fill the earth. That meant that as soon as he created masculinity and femininity, the ultimate expression of those two gender roles is through parenting, that we demonstrate the best parts of our gender more than anything else through parenting. And some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not a parent, or I don't know if I'll ever be a parent, or I wanted to be a parent, and I'm not. And here's the cool news. 
your parenting is not limited to biological relationships. And it's never been that way. I mean, from the beginning of time, it's never been that way. And one of the great statements that describes the effects of what Jesus did for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection is in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, where the result of the gospel is described in this way. So you, if you have followed Jesus, given your life to Jesus, believed in Jesus, asked him to forgive you from your sins and wipe you clean and make you the person you were always created to be, this is what happens. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves of God. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. So now we call him Abba, Daddy, Papa, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Do you know what really makes a father is a spirit, a spirit connection? is when you, you connect with the spirit of your child, you see them as deeper than just what's on the surface, and you connect with them. And it doesn't take a biological relationship to facilitate that kind of fatherly connection. God, most of God's children are adopted. Many of the relationships facilitated in the church are meant to be as close as family, but we are joined by something deeper than DNA. We are joined by the spirit of God. And so you may not be a biological father, but men, one of the expressions of your masculinity in society, in your life, is to demonstrate father-like character in your relationships. Now that takes some maturity, takes some growing, it takes some practice, usually takes some failure, at least in my experience. But you are meant to build father-like relationships. You are, you are meant to be, see yourself as an uncle, a spiritual father, an adoptive father, a male role model, all those things, and be a father-like person. When you look at these passages and the rest of Scripture, you could, you could come to the biblical conclusion that God-like fatherhood is the peak of what it means to be masculine. Now, some of you dads, you should like elbow your, your wives and be like, I am at the peak. <laughs> I, I, I am there. Now, you might want to remember that little phrase, God-like. That's where most of us struggle. It's, it's easy to become a biological father, hard to be a good one, right? We all know that. And so God-like fatherhood is the peak of what it means to be masculine, to exemplify relationships with people in the world around us as our heavenly father has related to us is the peak of what it means to use our gender and all of the things that come with it in the way that God intended. The question is, what does that look like? What does God-like fatherhood look like? I mean, we all have examples of dads, and we can probably sort out some things that are maybe better or worse, and some things we want to be like our dads in, or some things that we're like, whatever happens, I don't want to do that, which usually is the very thing that we do, right? So what does God-like fatherhood involve? And here's the, the good news for all the men in the room. And for those of you that aren't men, you can use this as a, as a way to kind of measure, like, what should masculinity look like in the world? 
But the same two principles that define fatherhood are the same two principles that are meant to define masculinity in general. And like I said, these first couple chapters of the Bible were pictures, were kind of snapshots of God's intention for all of humanity. And so when we look ahead at the next chapter in Genesis chapter 2, we see an up-close and personal version of those two verses that we read. We see the creation of man and woman in the world and how they're joined together and they're, they, they get started on building their new family and some of the things that God has given them. And right after God creates the first man, Adam, he uses this statement, kind of a purpose statement for Adam that many throughout, throughout history and scripture have interpreted as a purpose statement for masculinity. It's something that God expected of men, and it's not something that, that women can have no part in. In fact, they're supposed to be very involved and have their own, their own uh, expressions of some of these same things, but it's something that God spoke specifically to Adam before Eve was even there. And the Hebrews and Jews believed that was significant. And they expected men to live in this way. And that verse is in Genesis 2, 15. And I would call this the purpose statement for masculinity. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. That's it. You got a guy and a garden. Take care of it, Adam. No, that's not it. This wasn't just any garden, and those words in that passage mean more than just pruning some bushes and harvesting some berries, although, you know, nothing wrong with that. But this wasn't just any garden. This was the Garden of Eden. This was a place that God uniquely set apart in this unfinished world that he created and was about to give to humanity. He created a finished place. He created a place as the rest of the world was meant to be. He created an example of what the whole world could be like. And he said, Adam, I want you to take care of this. I want you to tend this. I want you to watch over this. And this is gonna be a place that demonstrates the flourishing all of humanity is supposed to have. This is gonna be a place that demonstrates what the whole world is eventually supposed to look like. It's a place where all of the raw materials of the world are harnessed for the flourishing of humanity. And the greatest raw material of all in that space was the uninterrupted, unhindered presence of God. That Adam got to walk with God in the garden, like a man walks with a friend. He got to hang out with God in the garden, that learning from the ultimate heavenly father, experiencing the love and the joy and the wisdom of the heavenly father, those things were there for him every day with no barriers, no shame, no guilt, no separation, no abandonment, nothing. That was the ultimate resource. And so Adam didn't know anything different than that, but God says, this is what the rest of the world's supposed to be like. When I say multiply, fill the earth, reign over it, what I've done here with you, you're gonna go do there with all your kids. And he says, tend and watch over it. And these two words, tend and watch over, they are significant words. They're words that appear later throughout the context of scripture, often in a pair. They're often words that are applied to the priesthood, of Israel and in other places. And, and I wanna talk a little bit about what they mean because these two responsibilities are defining purposes for every man and they're often the things that good fathers discover and are known for. The first one is he tells Adam to tend the garden. Now I hate the word tend. 
Tend sounds boring to me. I don't want to tend garden. I don't want to tend sheep. I have tried gardening, and it is, by the way, way harder than you think it's going to be. Let me just say that. But this word tend is, is, is I, the reason I don't like it is I don't think it's a great translation of the Hebrew word. Um, God created this man to be a gardener, but it's more than just kind of having some pots with strawberries in it on his back deck. The Hebrew word here for tend, abad, means to expend considerable energy and intensity in a task or function. I want you to think about that. Expend considerable energy and intensity in a task or function. I like that. That sounds more exciting. Adam, I want you to expend considerable energy and intensity in this garden. Do you know what that means? That means that God did not hand Adam like a pair of pruning scissors. He's like, Adam, here's a chainsaw. Which, by the way, when the staff voted on what to give away, I was like, let's give away chainsaws. Do you know why? Not because I'm like a chainsaw freak. I mean, maybe I am. But like, they're just the greatest garden tool ever. It's really hard to like not know how to use a chainsaw because it destroys things. It doesn't build things, right? You just have to be careful not to destroy like your limbs with it, your human ones. Anyways, that wasn't in the notes, and that's, I suffer, and you have as well. So, (laughs) bottom line, he was not just talking about a little bit of uh, caring for a few plants. He was talking about using all of himself towards a meaningful end. Here's the other thing about that word. It's most often translated as hard work, but it's always hard work in the service of something else. It's hard work as it relates to serving other people in the community. It's hard work. It's translated as hard work in the worship of the temple. Do you know you're supposed to work hard at worshiping God? You're like, oh, all I needed was another thing to work hard at. No, you're supposed to like work hard at loving God for all that he is. And that was one of the translations of this was for priestly worship. And then one of the words was cultivating an entire agricultural system that would sustain a whole family. That's the kind of work that he's talking about here. He's not talking about just like doing a couple chores or having a hobby in the backyard. He's talking about using all that he has for the sake of somebody else. That kind of work. It's work that is never just about yourself. It's about God and other people. It's work that honors God and work that makes the world a better place. That's what tending the garden was all about. And so when God calls men to be gardeners, and like if, if, you, if you, you know, called somebody today and they're like, hey, what'd they talk about at your church today? And you're like, I learned I'm a gardener. You need to remember what God meant about Adam being a gardener. God designed men to do the hard work of cultivating something life-giving for those around us just like God does. That's what God does. And he meant for us as men to do that hard work of cultivating something that is life-giving. Now, what kind of something are we supposed to cultivate? We're supposed to establish environments and values and family and community where people can know and be who they were created to be. That's what God did. That's what the Garden of Eden was. And we are supposed to go around and make gardens of Eden wherever we go. 
And those gardens of Eden, they won't always be plant gardens. They'll be gardens of whatever gifts and talents and passions you have expressed for the glory of God and the good of other people. That's the kind of gardener you are meant to be. And so this looks like men, you may not have kids, but you can sure work a job for the good of the people around you. You can work a job for the good of your coworkers. You can work a job and, and connect not just with a paycheck, but realize that the things that you work on will actually make someone else's life better in some way, shape, or form. You can turn lug nuts at Les Schwab knowing that you're not just getting a paycheck, but you're hopefully keeping someone safer on the road that day. You can work at Boeing knowing that what you do makes sure that people can visit their families in safety, Right? You can push the button on a toilet paper making machine and know that you are improving people's lives every day. <laughs> right? Do you work your job with perspective like, man, I matter in society? Because you do. How about business leaders, business owners, managers? Are you building ethical workplaces, places where people thrive when they work there, where they want to work there, where they find a sense of community in their workplace? And they're, not only that, they're taking home a paycheck that's providing for a family. I'm so grateful for our business leaders and business owners because they bring practical flourishing to our community. Some men are supposed to create art. Some men are supposed to, to design architecture. Some men are supposed to work with their hands and build homes where people can flourish. But God has gifted you men to work hard in ways that produce for more than yourself. And it's not just in the career field, it's also on the home front as well. Let's talk about the home front. Men, this is probably the harder work for us sometimes. I want you to think about your marriage as a Garden of Eden. Men, we often think about relationships with the opposite sex incorrectly, but the biblical picture is that, men, we are responsible to create safe environments for women to be emotionally and physically vulnerable. Have you thought about that, men? We're supposed to create spaces where women feel emotionally safe to be emotionally and physically vulnerable. Do you know what that Garden of Eden is called? It's called covenant marriage. The point of marriage is that we create a commitment where a woman can be safe to be completely who she is and be as vulnerable as she possibly can be and not worry about rejection, abandonment, abuse, and all of the other things. Do you know that it's most often in history men that create spaces like that? And it's most often men who neglect spaces like that. Men, we're the ones called to create a space like that. That's what marriages should feel like. And, and you know, it takes, it takes two, right? It takes two, and Adam will find that out later in the, in the chapter here. It takes two, so it's not... It's not all on the men, right? But men, you're supposed to lead the way in that. And I, I know that often, I just wanna, I'm gonna be hard on you guys a little bit, so I need to be hard on myself. Jeanette will be the first to tell you, I don't always do that well. It's something I've had to work, I've had to, I've had to expend considerable energy <laughs> trying to figure out how to do that, right? How about with our kids? Are we creating a place where our kids actually are safe to fail, but they're guaranteed to fail forward. 
That's what dads should be really good at, like helping our kids experience, not protect them from the failures of life, not neglect them when they fail, but to lead them through failure because, man, if there's one thing men know, it's that life will make you fail and it's not fun. Are we creating a safe place for them to fail and move forward and to have the right balance of correction and encouragement. By the way, sometimes, sometimes that the plant in the garden needs to be fertilized with encouragement, and sometimes it needs to be pruned with correction. And I wasn't always thankful at the time, but I'm thankful that my parents had a decent balance of that growing up. That's the kind of gardener that God has called us to be men. And there's this amazing thing that happens when we own that, when we get serious about that, there's this amazing thing that happens. People will flourish around us. Now they have to choose to engage and there will be casualties along the way sometimes. There will be rejection. There will be moments where our best efforts fail and there will be moments where we failed to give our best effort and yet God can bless a man who is committed to cultivating the environments that God has entrusted him with. I don't know what environments God has entrusted you with. And here's the other cool thing. We'll talk about this later. But you may have failed with some environments in the, fa- in the past. But God is the God of, of cleansing the past and restoring you for the future. So you can do this. You can do this. And we need to remind each other that I know there's some days where I, have, I need some guy in my life to remind me that I can do it. But that's not the only word. We're called to be cultivators, gardeners of Eden-like experiences for the people around us, but he also told the man to watch over the garden. This is the Hebrew word here, shamar, means to guard, to protect, to secure, to care for. It's a word that, that even talks about exercising violence in defense of those who are incapable of doing it for themselves. That's a word that sometimes guys get excited about, and sometimes guys, you know, we do this in the wrong way sometimes, or we do it at the wrong moment, or some of those things, but God, interestingly, in the, the only perfect place in the Garden of Eden, he charged Adam with protecting it, to use all force, if necessary, to protect it. Why would God charge Adam with protecting something that was perfect? Because there's always an enemy looking to hijack God's goodness. And some of the reason that there is wound, there are wounds in our lives when it comes to Father's Day is, be, is not because God is not a good father. It's because there is a real enemy that wants to keep you from a good father and knows the power of hijacking our earthly ones. This is the responsibility to not only cultivate whatever God has given us, but to protect what God has given us, to be guardians of the garden. Namely, we are to guard the people and the communities he's given us to cultivate. Physically, yes. And that's often the first thing that, that we think of. We're like, see, see, honey, I, I need to be entered in a jujitsu club. Like, I, I'm trying to be a godly dad here. Like, I, oh, honey, I need that AR-15 for Father's Day. See, Pastor Caleb is backing me up. I know. And some of you guys, if, may the Lord bless you. Uh, but, and there is a physical aspect of that. There is a physical, and even the New Testament speaks of men using the physical stature that God has given us to protect those in our communities that, ha- that are, are weaker than us physically. But there is a greater level of protection 
And that is the protection of protecting people's access to their heavenly father. It's protecting people emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. It's protecting people's ability to know and see God and to experience his life-giving love and power. Here's the deal. God designed men to do courageous work. Courageous work of leading, excuse me, God designed men to lead in the courageous work of protecting what he intended for humanity. Here's the thing. It takes courage to protect someone. It means that you put yourself in the line of fire. It means that you sacrifice what you didn't have to sacrifice. It means that you lay your life down and families, children, wives will remind us that sometimes laying our life down emotionally and psychologically is way harder than laying our life down physically, seems, right? But that's what it means to guard those that God has given us. He designed us to lead in that courageous work. It requires courage, and it looks like a lot of things. It looks like giving our resources and energy to advocate and fight for the rights and freedoms of those who don't have it. You know, men, we are responsible to defend those who cannot defend themselves. It means standing up for ethics and morals in our work environments and in our industries, regardless of the personal cost that we might have to pay. It means being a leader of integrity in a generation where leaders are all about self-indulgence. It means that we often say the unpopular thing in our households. It means that we are meant to lead and, and as we cultivate and, and encourage and release our wives and, and help our wives and serve our wives to be everything that they are called to be, we're also supposed to be the ones that say, hey honey, I, I think that that is not, I think we're stepping over a line that's not what God called us to do. I think that there may be an attitude there that is not the way Jesus wants you to express that. Dude, that takes some courage. <laughs> right, and ladies, sometimes we need those boundaries from you too. But we have to guard our wives in that way. We have to guard our kids. You know how you guard your kids? Discipline is a big part of it. You, are, you cannot be a good father without some discipline. Kids need to learn discipline as children because life will kick their butts as adults if they don't, right? And they learn to know God by your discipline and by your encouragement. Can I just get practical for a minute though, dads? It's often been said, uh, do what I say, not what I do. That's the opposite of good fatherhood. Guarding your children means that you do what you want them to do even when you don't have the words to explain why you're doing it. It means that you live a life of integrity and character even when it costs you big and it's even better if your kids see it cost you. It means that you apologize when you screw up because you want them to do that and someday they're gonna need to do it in their relationship with God. It means that you go to bat for things because it's right, not because it's easy. It means that you wake up in the morning to study the word of God because you want them to be people of the word. It means that you stay up late praying to God your father for their salvation and their blessing because you're worried that if you don't, the enemy might get his way in their lives. You are called to do battle 
for your children, men, to do battle for your wives, to do battle for your coworkers, to do battle for your community. And how do you do that? You do it with character. You do it with integrity. You do it by telling the truth when it would be easier to lie. You do it (laughs) when it's hard in front of everyone that loves you (laughs) and your little one. It's a good mom right there, right? You do it when it's hard. Your kids need to see that. They need to see that from you. They need to see you discipline yourself because it legitimizes your discipline of them. They need to see you be hard on yourself because you are accountable to someone greater than yourself. They need to see you sacrifice for something worthwhile and for people other than yourself. Can I tell you, that is what it means to be a man. That's what it means to be a man. And and here's the one thing. I mean, women, you're called to different versions of all this stuff too. But throughout scripture, God has held men responsible. I always thought it was interesting as a, you know, as a new Christian, I'd be like, man, Adam, Eve was the first one that ate the fruit. Why does Adam get the bad rap throughout scripture? Have you ever noticed that Adam's sin? Adam's sin, Adam brought this, the first Adam. I'm like, when's Eve get her due, huh? I mean, there's like one place and it's in this unique community where women were worshiped in like this weird sort of way. It's also where they tell women to be silent, no authority. There's, there's a context there where that's unique, but the rest of the New Testament, it's all about Adam's sin. Do you know why? Because men are responsible. At the end of the day, Women, you are responsible for what happens in your life and under the influence of those who are under your care, but men, you are expected to take responsibility for your community. And it's not a, it shouldn't be a surprise that throughout history, men have avoided that responsibility. Men have not, we don't want it because it's scary and we can't handle it on our own. We don't have what it takes all the time. We mess up as often as we're successful. But here's the good news. God knew we wouldn't be perfect fathers. He knew it. And from the first sin, from Adam's first sin, God had already promised that he had a plan to fix it all. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to be the only perfect man. And though he was never a biological father, through his death and resurrection, he opened the door for us all to be fathered by God again, just like it was intended in the Garden of Eden. Jesus gave his life to open the whole world to be the Garden of Eden again. It's still broken, we're still broken, but for any of us who are willing to say, God, I'm not enough, like I need you, I need you to show me the way, I need you to be my father, I need you to forgive my failures, our Heavenly Father is saying, I cannot wait, son. He's created a space through Jesus where we can fail forward where he will give us the right amount of encouragement and discipline, where when we cry out, we will not be put to shame because he will not fail at cultivating and protecting us and those that we love. So men, you're called to some great responsibility, but you also have some great backup. You have the perfect heavenly father. And I, I often point my kids, especially in my moments of failure, Usually when I like lost my temper or screwed up or did something stupid or was selfish or 
was too short with them or whatever, I, I feel a, a responsibility to point that out to them. This isn't how your heavenly father is. I sinned and I need your forgiveness and his forgiveness. But man, I'm so grateful that you have a perfect father to look to when I'm not perfect. Because the last thing I want, I want to be a good dad and I want my kids to have good memories, but the last thing I want is them to think that I'm the best thing there is. That would be a sad day. Somebody way better out there that loves all of us. And that is the ultimate one that we celebrate when we celebrate Father's Day. Man, I hope that you're celebrating Father's Day because you've been adopted by the greatest father of all time. And we need to know God as our father to be the men and to be the people that he created us to be. And so men today, I wanna encourage you. You are awesome. You were created to be awesome. You were created in the image of God and you may have spent your whole life so far failing at that, but God has given you every opportunity to turn that ship around and to be awesome, to be awesome. Thank you. One lady who thinks that's a good idea. Ladies, we need your encouragement, too, along the way. Here's, the, here's a little secret, ladies. Usually when we fail, we're pretty well aware of it, even if we act like we're not. When we're succeeding, we're still wondering if we are. So keep that in mind. But here's the deal. Men, you're not failures. Your kids at the Heavenly Father is helping fail forward and represent him in the world. Don't give up on that. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I thank you that we can call on you to be our heavenly father. I thank you that when we were lost and when we are lost, you invite us into your family. And you love us even when we don't deserve it. And you want us to be called by your name. You want us in your family. You are not ashamed of us, but you take pride in us. And you sent Jesus, your only legitimate son, to give his life so that we could all be legitimized as your sons and daughters. So Father, I pray in our hearts today, whether we're watching from home, across the hall, or here in the room today, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would just call out to you. And if you don't know the love of the Father, if you're living life outside of the Garden of Eden, I just wanna encourage you, would you just reach out and say, Father, God, I need you to be my father. I need you to show up in my life. I need you to help me. I need you to heal me. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me. Father, I need you. So by the power of what Jesus did on the cross, and in his resurrection, Father, would you adopt me and put that spirit of adoption inside of me, begin to change me and make me the man or the woman that you created me to be. Father, would you do that in me and help me? Lord, I pray for the men in this room today that you would help us, that you would help us to reflect you imperfectly, Help us to be 
gardeners and guardians, protectors and cultivators of whatever you have given us influence over in the workplace, in the home, in our community. You've given us this great responsibility, so help us to live up to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's the thing, men. I know you're not perfect and I'm not either. But we live in a society that desperately needs men to rediscover what God has called us to be. And the Spirit of God is waiting to help you. It's not on you. It's on him. He's going to walk with you. And we're going to walk together. We're in this together, right? And so let's keep walking. Whatever's in the past is in the past. And God has a good future in store for all of us. You know, before we go out and enjoy sliders and Father's Day stuff, we have some godlike fatherly duty to attend to today. We've talked the last couple weeks about a partnership we have with Convoy of Hope. They do disaster relief and take care of kids in parts of the world that are under-resourced. And on Father's Day every year, we receive an offering called One Day to Feed the World. And the reason they call it that is because people in nations like ours who are privileged to be employed fairly easily, though I know that's not always the case, um, we can give one day's wages and it makes a massive difference in areas where disaster relief has wiped out the whole infrastructure. And so here's a, this is a little chart they give about the, to help us do quick math on if this is your earnings, that's about how much your daily wage is. And before we go today, I want you to one, reflect on the Father's love for you, but I also wanna ask you, I wanna ask everybody, let's participate in this. Jeanette and I are both doing this because we believe that God's blessed us and I can't imagine trying to lead my family in a setting where there is no economy. You know, we, we worry about a, our economy, but there are places where there is no economy. There are no jobs. There are no infrastructures. And so this money goes to places like that, and it goes with the name of Jesus. It goes with food. It goes with resources. It helps rebuild infrastructure. And I don't think there's anybody that does it better than Convoy of Hope. And so would you pray about that? You give in the same way on our online giving. There's a little uh, one day to feed the world tab. If you want to put that on a giving envelope from the chair seat in front of you and drop it on the way out, you can do that. But I would love for you to join us. Why don't you take this time, though, just to pray. And if this is new to you and you want to talk to your spouse and be like, are, are we doing this? Or are we not doing this? Caleb said we should do it. Do you think it's a good idea? Do you trust him? I don't know. Uh, you know, talk to your spouse about it. Talk to the Lord about it. I don't know, for some of you, this is a sacrifice. But I think on Father's Day, it's appropriate for us to exemplify the Father's love to people that he loves and will never meet. And that's why we do this. So worship team, would you sing over us as we pray? And then I'll come and close us in a moment. <laughs>